You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, and here we are, Farbringen on this beautiful Tuesday. A bit chilly, but all good. And unity, that was the theme of the song. Our theme today is not so much in that... Um, in that direction, but more the idea of giving a person a helping hand. Listen, brother, listen, friend, give a helping hand. Give a helping hand. We all know this. We've all heard the slogans. We've all taught the slogans to our children, to our students, to our friends, that we have to help each other. We have to be nicer to each other. We have to be kinder to each other. We have to help. And I have to say that most of humanity has gotten the memo, right? Most people are helpful, at least in some contexts. But you'd imagine that, and you'd agree, that most people in this world are nice people. Yeah, I know, if you if you watch the news this morning, you think that most of the people are beheading others, but that's not really the majority. The majority of people are having nice lives and treating each other respectfully and trying to go on with their life and trying to build relationships, etc., 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 we all try to be kind people. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, how can I destroy somebody else's life today? So today I want to talk about when we are kind, what is the greatest kindness we can give to other people? We know that Maimonides numerates 10 different levels of charity. What's the highest level of charity? The highest level of charity is when people stand on their own feet, when we give people the opportunity to be able to make their own living. The question you have to ask yourself is, why is that the greatest charity? When most of us think of giving something to somebody else, we'd imagine that the greatest kindness is giving somebody else. In other words, person A gives something to person B and that's the way person A shows kindness. What happens when person A gives person B a job? In other words, gives them the opportunity of earning their own income, of making their own living. What happens then? What happens then is it's person A can feel threatened by that because he or she is no longer the giver. And rather, now the other person is taking care of themselves. So let's think about it in simple English. Let's think of a parent. Each parent raises their child and wants them to be great and fantastic. But what often happens is the parent struggles to let go at some stage and allowing the child to develop themselves and their own personality and their own future. Why? Because the parent wants to be a giver. And if they teach their child independence, then the parent runs the risk in their own mind of stopping to be able to be that giver, to be able to be needed. And you might say this is an abstract concept. Unfortunately, it's not abstract. All too often, 
our kindness, when we act kind to other people, we don't ask ourselves the honest question, and that is, what is the kindness that they need? Often we want to be kind. I want to help you. I want to be the best father in the world. So because I want to be the best father, so therefore I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, but not necessarily is that what you, the child, needs. In other words, sometimes the greatest gift you could give to somebody else is forcing them to stand on their own two feet rather than making them dependent on you. It's called the culture of dependency. All too often, teachers, parents, philanthropists, create a culture in which the receiver becomes dependent on the giver. The the parent will always be needed because every single time, you know, Danny or Sarah is going to need something, they're going to call mommy, they're going to call daddy, and they're going to give them the feeling of being needed. And that is the most incredible, heartwarming feeling for the child, for the parent to have. And therefore, they continually perpetuate that legacy of rely on me. The question is, is that the greatest gift we can give people? Is the greatest gift to give or is the greatest gift to allow people to give themselves where no longer are we needed? And that's an incredibly important topic to discuss. To be able to unpack within ourselves and ask ourselves a simple question, am I giving to the other person what they need or what I want to give? Today, there's a book that's very popular out there. It's called The Five Love Languages, which in some ways is the exact same thing, the same idea. And that is that you want to communicate love to somebody. But if that's not their language of love, you're not going to be communicating love. So, for example, if one person wants to get gifts and instead you're giving them compliments, compliments is nice, but ultimately that's what you want to give them. That's not what they want to receive. Often as givers, as parents, we give to our kids what we want to give them, but not necessarily is that what they want to receive or what they need to receive from us. Sometimes... Raising a person to be independent means we have to hold ourselves back from giving. Sometimes the greatest kindness is to not give. To force that individual to stand on their own two legs and make decisions and develop a culture of independence. But I want to be the giver, right? I want to be needed. All too often, I want to be needed, and therefore you, the receiver, you, my child, you, my student, whoever that you is, becomes a vehicle through which I can make myself feel good that I'm needed. Look, my 45-year-old boy, he still calls me every day to make him breakfast. I, you know what I mean? I'm needed in this world. Now, is that ultimately what's good and what's right and what's what's good for the kid? No, not at all. But... I feed my need to be needed. I'm sorry if that's a play of words, but it, it, try. let me try to explain it. In other words, each and every one of us is born in this world with needs. But we're also born into this world with the need to be needed. 
We need to know that we mean something to somebody. We need to know that we are not dispensable, but rather indispensable. That we have value to add to somebody else. That need to be needed often makes us make the wrong decision. So, for example, your 18-year-old kid wants to go for a gap year or wants to go and develop a life for themselves. And you can't let go because you, the person, the parent, the mom, the dad, etc., wants to be needed. So therefore, they're making a decision for their child, not necessarily based on what's good for the child, but what's good for the in the mind of the parent for them to continue to feel needed. Is that necessarily the greatest act of kindness? Or is the greatest act of kindness to put my needs and my need for being needed aside and give my child, my student, my spouse, whoever it is, the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of their self-esteem in which they have to develop their own unique identity. Sometimes hiding is the greatest gift to develop independence. And on that theme, after the break, um, after a few adverts, I want to play this beautiful song called Don't Hide From Me. From Avram Fried here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul. And we are here talking, or just we began the conversation, and now hopefully we can get right into it, of what it means to really give another person the gift. What's the greatest gift we can give another person? The gift of charity, and that is the gift to allow them to stand on their own two legs. The reason this theme has come up is because, really, that's what the parsha of the week is. In this week's parsha, at the beginning, God commands, and he says the following, When you raise up the candles. God talks about lighting the menorah in the temple, in the beautiful temple in Jerusalem, and first in the desert there was a a holy room called a Kodesh, and inside one of the amazing vessels over there, one of the amazing things that happened was a beautiful menorah, a seven-branch menorah that would be lit every day, and God talks about lighting the menorah. But the foremost commentator on the Torah, which is Rashi, comes and asks a simple question, and that is, why does it say when you rise up the candle instead of saying when you light up the candle? In Hebrew, it would be Bahadlikha rather than Bahaloscha. And Bahaloscha is actually the name of this week's parsha, Bahaloscha, when you rise up. And Rashi offers two answers. And one of the answers is the following, that the Kohen, the person who lit the menorah, lit this candelabra, had an obligation to stand with the flame to the candle. In other words, they were holding a flame in their hand. They had to stand there by each wick, ad until the flame, until each individual wick in each individual flame was independent and able to stand on their own. When you light up and you bring up each candle and allow them to light on their own, that the only way the person who lit this candelabra, this menorah, did the mitzvah was when he made sure that the candle was ignited enough that even once the lighter moved away, the flame would continue burning. 
Now, that might seem like a very technical thing in how to light candles, but the rabbis, the mystics have taught us that in that message is an incredible, incredible life lesson, and that is that when we light the soul of somebody else, when we bring a flame and we try to ignite a spark that exists in the soul of each individual, you must make sure to stand there long enough that the flame in the individual gets ignited, that they could stand on their own. But here's the caveat. Once they could stand on their own, it's time for the lighter to move away. Obviously, it could continue hovering in the background. It could continue being a circle of influence and have some form of relevance, but the fire now must burn alone. And that simple message is a message that each and every one of us in our own life can find somewhere where we can bring it in, whether it is the way we parent our children, where we love the fact that they need us. I mean, one of the greatest gifts of, of, of parenting is you walk into your house and your two-year-old runs over to you with open arms and just gives you a scream, daddy, mommy, and they, and, and they show how much value you add to them. Their love is so genuine and innocent and beautiful and literally could take a hard day and melt it. And that is a tremendous gift of being a parent. However, when the parent becomes addicted to that feeling that my children need me, then what happens once the child is no longer a two-year-old running into the arms? They're a 12-year-old who's suddenly giving attitude. Or a 22-year-old who's going and making a life for themselves, whether through marriage, whether through building a career, etc., etc. Then this parent who became addicted to the feeling that my child needs me, can't let go. And all too often you see what what a therapist one time told me, it's called families where everyone's enmeshed in each other. There's no independence. There's no ability for each child, the spouse, etc., the the in-laws to be able to stand on their own. Everyone's literally in a chalent pot together. They're enmeshed in each other. And nobody has the ability or nobody allows the other person to have the ability to stand and develop their own independent identity. Because everybody needs the other person in order to make them feel valuable. The parent doesn't let go of the child. The child doesn't let go of the parent. But what's the greatest gift that a parent can give a child is once they've raised them well, and hopefully inculcated them and impassioned them with good values, lit a fire in their soul, then to be able to have the confidence and tell the child, now your journey is on your own. Lech lecha, go, make a life for yourself. Go study what your heart desires, not what my heart desires. Go marry the person that your heart tells you is the right person to marry, not necessarily who I think. Sometimes it could be the correct, you know, everyone could agree. But even according to Jewish law, the decisions that adults make, they have no obligation to respect their parents. According to the Shulchan Aruch, the Jewish law, a parent cannot impose who to marry on their child. A child's allowed to marry who they want. A parent's not allowed to impose where their child studies, 
the child can study where they want. And according to some commentaries, the parent cannot impose where the child can live. The child can live where they want, obviously at a certain age. In other words, the greatest respect that your child can give you, even though maybe as a parent we don't feel that sometimes, is to go make a life for themselves, to let go. To not call you 25 times a day every single time, you know, they have to, they have a hiccup. To be able to learn how to cope with life. A culture of independence, a culture of an individual making a life for themselves, living their own part. We as parents were not brought into this world to carry our children from A to Z. We were brought into, we were given the task of A to C, A to D. And at some stage to then allow the child's life to play out for their journey. Yes, we can be their support and love and et cetera, et cetera. But the child has to go from step D to E themselves. And they might fall down from E to C. They might make mishaps and that's their journey. We cannot protect our children, or rather we shouldn't protect our children from some of the disappointments of life. Because that's the only way they're going to learn to stand on their own. I was having a fascinating conversation with somebody earlier. And we were talking about how often the people who have incredible success early, in other words, they have all the support system and everyone's just gunning for them and they're naturally talented and they're incredible, etc. And they peak early. When you look at them 10, 20 years down the line, you don't see major successes. But it's that kid that was forced to, to fall down and stand on their own. And life was disappointing. And nobody was able to carry their problems other than themselves. It's those people who then are able to often make an incredible, impactful, successful life for themselves. Studies have shown this over and over and over that the more that the successful kids are often the the average mediocre adults. Why? Because the only way we can achieve true success in our life is when we have to stand on our feet and literally develop an identity. But if life was so easy and I was never really forced to go deep and learn what it means to stand against pain and failure and hurt then not necessarily will I ever be able to cope when the pain, the failure, and the hurt will hit me in the face at some stage in life. But when we muddly cuddle our children and we don't allow them to face at least some of what the world has to teach it, we do a disfavor to our children. We do a disfavor to our children when we don't allow them to go on their own journey and fall down. If you're going to hold the bicycle for your child forever and you're never going to allow the child to fall off the bike, what are the chances of the kid ever becoming a great biker or even a decent biker? The child has to fall. That's the way Hashem has made our world. But so often we think that the mandate of parenthood is to protect our children from pain. That's not the mandate. And at least the way Torah sees it. The mandate is to teach the children how to deal with life struggles. To give them mechanisms of how to cope. Not mechanisms of avoidance. 
We don't walk into this world bl- with the intention of being blindfolded of our own weaknesses and the weaknesses of the world. We are here to walk with our eyes wide open and deal with them. Craig, what do you say? Kind of. Okay. Now let's move on from parenting to another example. Education. As teachers. What often happens in schools? I, the teacher, am given a task to tell the children the dogma. To inculcate them with certain ideals and knowledge. But what happens when the child asks a naughty question? What happens when the child starts challenging me? Oof. All too often, I, the teacher, use the word chutzpah. Get away. No, no, no. Don't ask me questions. Or some teachers use the incredible word. I'm being cynical. You heretic. How could you ask such a question? You ask the question, where is God? If God exists, how can you ask such a thing? Who raised you? Haven't you been brought up in a better home than this? Without realizing that the child is asking the question and that is part of their journey of developing their own value system. If they don't go on a journey, then they're just going to be a walking parrot of their parent and teacher. And that is not called being a flame. That is not a person that will impact the world if we don't build within ourselves and within our students. Our own inner journey and our own richness that comes from that journey. There is no way that we can truly become transformative people. The world does not get impacted by parrots. The world gets impacted by people who had to discover within themselves the answers. And yes, they might have grown up in a very passionate Jewish home, but the child has to develop something themselves. They have to be encouraged to go on a journey. It's not just enough to teach them, whether it is, you know, a traditional Judaism or even ultra-Orthodox Judaism. It's not just enough to teach. It's to create an environment in which they discover themselves in there. Because only then, it's only then that they will have a flame that stands on its own. And their Yiddishkeit, their Judaism, their faith in God will be their own. It's not going to be dependent on somebody else. And therefore, wherever life takes them, whether they end up living close to their parents and close to the teachers or far from the parents and far from the teachers, they will nevertheless be able to stand on their own because they are no longer dependent on a parent or a teacher for their own faith because they've made their faith their own. They've made the knowledge their own. They've made the values their own. And that is the greatest success in education when our student or our child has made the values that are important to us their own. It might be a little different than ours. It might be flavored differently. It might have a different texture based on their personality and their journey. But that's the beauty of diversity in the world. And if we allow our child to find their own journey, their own path and own color, we give them the gift of finding their own relationship. It's a beautiful statement based on a certain verse in the song that the Jewish people sang when they walked past the Sea of Reeds. And the verse goes like this. This is my God and I will glorify him. The God of my father and I will um, uplift him. I will make him great. 
but the, the commentaries say that the way of, there's a way of reading the verse like this. Zekeli, if the God is my God, in other words, I, the child, made my own relationship, ve'anvehu, then the word ve'anvehu not only can mean I will glorify, but it can be split to two words, anivahu, he and I. In other words, God and I now have a bonding incredible relationship. However, however, if the God is not necessarily my God, I didn't go through my journey, but rather it's the God of my father, I I will uplift him. In other words, he'll become a bit of an abstraction. He's high above, but there's no longer Aniva who there's no passionate, close, intimate relationship. And the greatest gift is Zechali when each child says, this is my God. That I am passionate about my faith, not only because my parents gave me that education, but because I've found it. This is my God. What greater gift of Jewish education can we give our students? That they are not only carrying on a tradition, but they create, in some ways, the beginning of a new one. This is Rabbi Levi Afton, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. I remember a conversation I had a while ago with a certain individual who was telling me, he says, Rabbi, I raised my child in a very strong, traditional Jewish home. And we were a united, bonded family, and everything was fantastic. Friday nights were absolutely important. But then my daughter decides to marry a guy, and together they become Shomer Shabbos. They decide to take on the Sabbath. And now they live far away, and they're no longer able to really drive over every single Friday night, and we don't have them every Friday night. He says, look, Judaism is getting in the way of my family. That wasn't my tradition enough. And it's an interesting question, and there's many interesting perspectives. I've heard many different ways of dealing with the question. But one, the thought that came to me when he asked me the question was, my dear friend, how blessed you are that your child has found a path within Judaism. Is it necessarily yours? No. Have they gone in a bit of a different direction? Yes. I would say in a higher direction, but okay, maybe you the, you might disagree. That's fine. But they've gone in their own direction, and their call for Judaism has now called upon them to take on the Sabbath. Can you not see the gift in that, that he found his own journey, that he and she found their own space, and they've made decisions not necessarily only based on what they were educated, but rather what they educated themselves? Don't you see that incredible gift that you gave your children that they were able to find their own voice in the religion and take on something that not necessarily you want to take on, but that's what their truth is calling upon them. Can you not appreciate their journey? Allowing people to go on their own journey is so difficult at times, because it's so much more comforting to be able to manipulate the journey. That's why, think about it on a more of a macro level, why is democracy such a recent invention in human history? I mean, we've been going for thousands of years, and democracy is a relatively new mishagas. It's a new idea out there, a few hundred years old. Okay, maybe Greece had an ancient, weird form of democracy, um, but far from the democracy that we call today. 
you know, it, still in that culture, if you were born disabled, you were left to die and other crazy things. So let's not call that a pure uh, modern democracy. What took democracy so long to form itself? The idea that each person can chart their own destiny. Because naturally, the idea that we want to control and the idea that we want to be controlled is very much a part of the human psyche. That's why even in the last century, people gave themselves over to dictators like Stalin or Hitler or Mao or other, uh, sorry for using the term, other crazies who built up a whole culture of leadership that imposes themselves on others, that takes away people's freedom. Think about what communism gave to Russia or China or others. Think about even what Russia's, Russians, many of them are doing to themselves now with the current leadership. They're taking away their freedoms. Why? Because somehow it's part of the human psyche that I want to be controlled and I want to control others. So therefore, the child will never leave the parent back in the micro, and the parent not necessarily let go of the child because that culture of being needed and being needy is very much part of the world. However, the greatest gift that we can give and the greatest epiphany that you, civilization, the one of the great epiphanies of civilization the past few hundred years was, we have to realize that charting our own destiny is harder, but it's much more beautiful. It's much more, it's harder to govern in a democracy. Think about it. Every single decision has to go through parliament and has to go through this ministerial body and that parliament and et cetera and et cetera. And if you're a dictator, you wake up one day and you make a rule and as I is this, that's the way it is. But what happens, people lose their independence. And I have to say something, you might agree or disagree. I'm not saying this is a rabbi. I'm just saying it more as an observer of what's going on in the world today. For many years, I used to look at Facebook and almost you know, be in, a, in a admiration of that model of one person who has a vision and creates a world in which two billion people are connecting. And I remember watching a Harvard commencement by, by Zuckerberg in which he says that he made sure to never allow any other person to have a say in the business because he wanted to have an absolute um, ownership, a monopoly of the direction so that he can take it where it needs to go. But the past year has raised some very difficult questions on that. Is a platform such as Facebook, which is a huge platform of civilization, should it be in the hands of a select few? Or should it have many more voices charting its course? And so many of the mistakes that have been made and so many of the apology tours that he's been going on is, in my opinion, because they, they never listen to other people's voices there was no board, there was no listening mechanism, and therefore it was all one person's mind. And that is never healthy because a society can never be built in, on one person's vision. A society is built on many people's vision. And that's why even the most utopian communist state that Karl Marx ever imagined, even if necessarily Stalin the, the crazy never took over and it was somebody normal who so-called ran the communist state, it will never work because a society is never built on one idea. It's built on many ideas. It's built on many people. 
And I would say the same thing about families. The family is built on each child and, and parent bringing their own color and their own voice. And furthermore, in community. Communities often become a place where one person's vision can control everybody else, but that's never a community. A community is where many, many people find a voice and a space to share their color and their talents in a safe space that allows them to find their own journey, to ask their own questions, to offer their own answers. Obviously, parameters are important in every context, but They have to be parameters that enable people, not disable the journey that each and every one of us was privileged and gifted by God to go on our very own. This is 101.9 High FM here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, wrapping up the show. Whew. The room was actually cold an hour ago. Now I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> where does this all leave us? Allowing people to go on their own journey and giving them enough of a fire that they can then keep on keep the fire lit by their own passion and their own journey is the greatest gift that parents, educators, leaders, rabbis, everybody can give another person to create a culture of dependency where the receiver needs the giver forever and ever and ever is not what builds strong people. And I just want to finish off with more of a historical context. Think about the Jewish people. When did the the great wisdom of the Torah really break through and transform the world? When did the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Responsa, the Rishonim, Achreinim, the, the great sages, when did most of Jewish study and learning and literature happen? Post-biblical times, post-temple times. Now, biblical and temple times were times of tremendous revelation. God was visible. You literally saw miracles day in and day out. But you know what that created? That created a culture of dependency. When did Jews become and develop that independent spirit where they took the values and they grew it and they made it beautiful and they taught the world and they became a light unto the nations? Dafka! When so-called the lights went out and they were forced to find their own footing. And look what beautiful footing they've found. And look at the impact they've made on the world in the 2,000 years since the destruction of the temple. Obviously, we beg and we, we beseech God to return the temple and to bring us to an age of no more suffering and no more pain and absolute revelation. But in these moments, we can appreciate the gift that God has given us, that we are stronger than ever that we're able to stand on our own and truly shine with the values and the fire inside each and everyone's heart. Wishing you a week of passion, a week of fire, a week of growth, and a week of nurturing independence in yourself and in those around you. Have a great week. Shavua Tov. And please, God, next week here on 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Aftsen from Linksfield Shul signing off. Have a great week.